Welcome back to the Cycling with Watts podcast. This is episode number 17. Number 17. Let's get a round of applause for me. And just by round of applause, I mean everybody sitting in this room, which is just me. But thank you for tuning in today. This is the Cycling with Watts podcast. I am your host, Jared Watts. And this podcast is dedicated to all things cycling. Basically, I want to get you out on your bike more, whether that's outdoors, whether that's indoors, wherever that's at, I want to get you biking more. So I'm bringing you news from the Pro Peloton, news from the world of tech, maintenance tips, and training tips. So thank you so much for joining today. If this is your first time, thank you. If you've been there since the start, thank you as well. So happy for you all to be here. Got a great episode planned and uh, we're going to switch things up just a little bit today. I got some uh, personal announcements to uh, to get out there to you all and then we'll dive right into pro news and tech news. So let's hit that orchestra strings and get us into the podcast. All right, so I've been uh, off the podcast for about two weeks, so I apologize to anybody out there who was, you know, updating that and, and looking for the next podcast. I was doing a couple of things personally and with work trying to get caught back up there, so I apologize on that front, but uh, starting back strong today, and I got some good, exciting news that I want to share. Well, one, the website is going to be updated for this podcast, so Cycling with Watts. Dot com That is going to have all the visuals attached to this podcast, so I will reference that later on in the show, and I'll talk about something, and I'll say, hey, go check it out on the website. Also, finally, I have an email set up. It took like <clears throat> 10 minutes, but it, I don't know why it took me so long to get it, so it is now cyclingwithwatts at gmail.com, which I'd love to get any feedback from you guys. Uh, Any questions that you want to ask for future podcasts, any topics that you have for future podcasts, and I want to use that email as a space to communicate with you all across the world. Wherever you might be, we can use that email address to hear from from you all. So that is up. Also, got a Facebook page up, which I already have social media from Instagram and Twitter, but now that I have a Facebook, just another way to communicate with you all, and I want to use all of those things to better update the show and do a little bit more interaction from uh, who I am and what I'm doing in cycling on a day-to-day basis and kind of use it to communicate a little bit faster on news than I can with the podcast. So that's what all of that stuff is for. Also, on an exciting note, I got accepted to a cycling team and uh, I'm going to make that announcement, though, in January because I'll have some better visual aids. So I know that's a, a long teaser to stretch out there, like two months. But I got some uh, exciting news to share around that space coming in January. And then on a personal note, what I'm doing cycling right now, it is cold in Minnesota. That's where I'm from, based here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Shout out to any Minnesotans listening to the podcast Skull Vikings, but I am riding my bike indoors now. It has come to the indoor season, which I love it. I, I really do. I've been riding on Zwift using a little bit of uh, Trainer Road as well, and I have a I'll have a podcast updating my experience with that later on. But yes, I'm indoors and I'm I'm having a blast riding indoors. I don't know about you 
all out there. If you hate it, love it, I have a Wahoo Kicker Core. It's a direct drive trainer. That's been a huge upgrade this year. Really simulates things on Zwift a lot better. It's just it's it's nice to get a really condensed workout in in a short period of time, and I can just kind of hit it right away. You know, I don't, I don't got to worry about stoplights. I don't got to worry about wind. Don't got to worry about cars. There's just a lot of those things are thrown out the window when I'm training indoors. So I really do enjoy that. I'm going to hate training indoors here in about four or five months where I just can't wait to get back outside. But right now, I am really loving it. I get to throw on my headphones, crank the music up because I know I don't have any cars coming up. I don't have any pedestrians coming up. I have none of those factors, no dogs on leashes, nothing like that. So I've really been enjoying training indoors. And it's just you can look at your data all the time and never have to worry about handling your bike, which is a little bit scary from some standpoint of like, I always worry about when I get back out on my bike after a season indoors. Like, what is my bike handling going to be like? But that's me right now, training indoors and kind of loving every minute of it right now. So like I said, I don't know what your all's situation is at the moment. I'm indoors and absolutely loving it. I'd love to hear through the email, cyclingwithwatts at gmail. I want to know, are you indoors yet? Do you hate the indoors? Do you love the indoors? You know, what trainer setup are you using? What program are you using? Or are you watching TV? Are you watching movies? Like, what are you doing on the bike while you are biking indoors as well? And then another huge thing, what's your setup for keeping cool indoors? I have two fans on me. I have one, like, tall, slender fan that kind of hits my whole body. And then I have a smaller fan that sits right in front of my face along with two towels one around my neck and one around my handlebars to make sure all the sweat stays off my bike and then I can, you know, wipe myself down with the towel around my neck and then the fans. This is the first year that I've had two fans really to like cover a lot of my body and it's helped with the sweating problem because before when I first started indoor training, I did not have a fan. And oh my, I would just die of sweat and sweat would get everywhere, which is kind of nice for, you know, if you want to look at like a weight loss perspective or, you know, feeling like you really had a hard workout. But after a little while, it just really sucks to have that much sweat like pouring off of your body. So that is my update on what I'm doing in cycling right now. Hope you guys are, are you know, getting after it on the bike and having uh, an enjoyable time here in November. But yeah, shoot me an email, cyclingwithwatts at gmail. You know, what is your what is your indoor setup? I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to get some comments, some feedbacks, or if you have any indoor training questions, shoot them to cyclingwithwatts at gmail. All right, so let's get into pro news. So today is actually going to be focused on the Tour de France, which as you know, is not till July. So why are we talking about the Tour de France? Well, this time in pro cycling is a little bit dead. You know, on the road, there's not much going on. There's a couple, you know, crits all related to the Tour de France going on. There, there just isn't a ton going on. There's a ton of cyclocross right now. So it's not like in the world of cycling there's nothing going on. But in the world of pro road racing, not a ton of going on, not a ton of transfer news Nothing like that. So recently, there's been a, a lot of talk around the Tour de France because the Tour's route was dropped. Also, the Giro's route was dropped. So there's been some talk around that as well. And then kind of out of that, 
route being dropped, there's been a lot of talk about you know who's going to be the winner, a lot of speculation, stuff like that. So what I want to dive into today is the Garen Thomas, Chris Froome debate and kind of where my stance is on all of that. Now, this is all my opinion, which it's my podcast, so I can give my opinion. I don't necessarily expect you all to agree with it. It's just where I stand on the matter and how I look at it from my perspective. Being an American, too, that I think that plays a huge part in this. And uh, also how I kind of feel like there's not a ton of news to talk about. So it's like, let's create this controversy from the media angle that Garen Thomas and Chris Froome are, you know, kind of in this battle for who is going to be the leader next year. So a little bit of setup here. Chris Froome rides for Team Sky, four-time Tour de France winner. He was trying to win his fifth Tour de France this past July in 2018. Chris Froome is going to be one of the greatest cyclists of all time. He's won the Tour four times, he's won the Giro, and he's won the Vuelta. He's won all of the major Grand Tour races. You know, an amazing racer. And he was going for his fifth Tour de France this year. So going into the race, there was still speculation on was Chris Froome going to be the leader? Was Garen Thomas going to be the leader? Especially because Chris Froome had just come off of winning the Giro. And it's generally said that if you ride the Giro, you're not going to have those same legs for the Tour de France, which is very, very true. And so middle of the Tour de France, Chris Froome was the leader, you know, through what, like stage through at least half of the Tour de France this year. And then it was shown that Garen Thomas looked to be the stronger rider, and it flip-flopped. They were riding for Thomas and not for Froome anymore, and Froome was still up there as he was a possible contender, but they were riding for Thomas, and Froome became a domestique for Thomas. Now, this was a guy who had won the Tour de France four times, now becoming a domestique for his teammate. And I thought that was really cool to see and really selfless of Chris Froome. And knock it back to, I believe, 2011 when Bradley Wiggins was going for a Tour de France win. And Chris Froome was his domestique for Bradley Wiggins. And there was a huge controversy there. Because Chris Froome was the stronger rider. He looked to be the strongest rider. And they still rode for Bradley Wiggins. Bradley Wiggins went on to win it. So that was all well and fine, but Chris Froome stated during that time that whoever the strongest rider is, they should be riding for that. Now, maybe that wasn't Chris Froome who actually stated that, but like his team, his camp, if you want to say it, his camp was saying that. And so there, it was a big controversy coming into this year's tour that, or in the middle of the tour, that, hey, Chris Froome had, Chris Froome's camp had said this back in the day. Is he going to stay true to his words? And he did. He was not the strongest rider, and he let Garen Thomas win. I mean, not that Chris Froome could have won, even if he was backed by his whole team. Regardless of that, he became a domestique for Thomas. I thought that was selfless. I'm a big Chris Froome fan. He, like, reinvigorated my passion for pro cycling. So I'm definitely a Chris Froome fan and a Team Sky fan. And it's nothing to take away from Garen Thomas. I like him a lot as well. I'm just a big Chris Froome fan. Fan. So I thought that was really cool of him. So now heading into this next tour, Chris Froome 
Still wants to win his fifth. I mean, why wouldn't you want to win your fifth Tour de France? Garen Thomas, though, being last year's champion, of course wants to defend his title. And they are both going to be on Team Sky for the next couple of years. I believe Chris Froome for the next two years, Garen Thomas for the next three. So there's, you know, definitely a leadership battle here brewing. And from the media's perspective going, you know, after the the route got announced, that basically Garen Thomas is gunning for it. And of course, Garen Thomas has to say that he's gunning for it. Why, why would he say anything different, especially, you know, this long until the tour? Why would he say anything different? So I find it a little bit ridiculous that we're making such a big deal that Garen Thomas says that he's gunning for it and starting to speculate, well, who's going to be the leader? And is there really controversy inside the Team Sky camp? I get a little bit frustrated by that because like, what else is he going to say? No, I'm not going to try to defend it. No, I'm just going to, I'm going to let Chris Froome. No, if he had that attitude, what kind of competitor would he be? I, I find that, and you have to report on it. I get that. I get that. Like, when there's no news, you have to have a news cycle. Hence, I'm talking about it. So, you know, there's irony in that. But I find it a little bit ridiculous that we get caught up in the fact that Garen Thomas says that he wants to go for it. It's just like as a competitor, as an athlete, he has to say that. And why would he say anything? Like, why would he give any of his competitors a small advantage? You know, that might be a very small advantage saying that, hey, I'm not going to be gunning for it, but I'm going to ride it. Still, like, you don't want to give any of these riders a, a mental edge or a step up on you in any shape or form. So I, I don't like all of this controversy that is coming up between the two because from the outside perspective, we're not going to know until the day of the start of the race or halfway through the race. You know, you just don't. No, and we got many months in training to figure that out. So, you know, uh, another thing to keep in mind with all of this that I find very interesting across all of sports is after somebody wins something big, you know, whatever sport that might be, somebody in baseball wins the MVP, a football team wins the Super Bowl for the first time. You know, something along those lines. When somebody wins something big for that first time, how do they then react that next season? How can they handle that pressure? And so I think this is something interesting to look into when you do talk about the leadership for Team Sky in the Tour de France next year. So Garen Thomas has had a lot of time off the bike since winning the Tour, which is very understandable. I am not docking him at all for this. I mean, these guys do an amazing amount of riding. So Garen Thomas, after winning it, I mean, he goes on a lot of speaking tours, does a lot of interviews, is doing a ton of stuff because he won the Tour de France. Good for him, but he's been off the bike for a while. And that's, you know, something to note. He, he said he won't really start seriously training for another two weeks. He's put on some weight. And then it's all about how he handles this stardom now. You know, does he come into the fact that, or with the mindset in the next one, well, I won one before, I, I know I'm going to win this one, or is he so hungry for that next win that he's really going to put it in for training? Who knows? All I'm saying is that Chris Froome is, has been there, he's already been through that stardom shock, and knows how to handle the pressure. So we'll see, and I really think that is going to play in to Garen Thomas's training, and I don't know 
him personally by any means, so I don't know if he's super hungry for that next one, if he just wanted to win one and he's good there. I assume he's super hungry from the from what we've seen in his career so far, so I'm really excited to see him possibly win a second one. I would love to see Chris Froome win a fifth one. Overall, I'd just like to see Team Sky win. I'm definitely on that bandwagon, whether you hate me or love me for that one. I love Team Sky. <laughs> And uh, I like a lot of other teams as well, but I love Team Sky. They're probably my favorite for a lot of different reasons. But I think that's that's very interesting. Uh, looking at he just had this mass amount of success. Can he handle that success and still be hungry for that next Tour de France win? Or is Chris Froome going to show his experience in training and become the leader? I, I believe the best way to project for next year's Tour de France is that they are going to be co-leaders, and as much as that sucks because we don't get to know the inside track, I think that is going to be the case, and I'm excited to, to see it because I think the tour next year is going to be very exciting with a lot of different players in the mix. So, Tour de France route, I am going to more save that for next year. I know that's a long ways away, but I'll do a preview show. And that's where I'll get all into the route. But I do have a link to the route up on the website, which the website link will be in the description below. Now, I like to talk with my hands, so I literally just pointed down, even though I'm looking at a wall and a computer and a microphone. I pointed down because the description is below. So that is cyclingwithwatts.com. It'll be in the podcast description, cyclingwithwatts.com. Com. So you can go check out uh, the route there, take you to a link to cyclingstages.com. But another big controversy that I want to talk about in the Tour de France this year is the president of the Tour de France or the director of the Tour de France is talking about banning power meters. He's talking about banning power meters. Now, if you follow pro cycling closely, I'm sure you've already heard about this. And I may be the last one to the punch, but it's talking about banning power meters. I just think this is the absolute most ridiculous statement I have ever heard. Now, I am totally on board with the argument that power meters take away from some of the beauty of cycling. I think that's one of the biggest arguments around this is that back in the day, they didn't have power meters, of course. And that helped to animate the race because people weren't robotic just looking at their computers and being like, okay, I know I can't attack here because I've already dipped into the red zone this much. I know what my FTP is and I'm going to hold off to attack. That's kind of been this argument that we're getting such boring cycling because they're just looking at their computer screens and they know exactly what they can and can't do. And I think this is more a stab at Team Sky than anything because Team Sky has probably done one of the best jobs of you know staying true to what they can and can't do on the bike for majority of the race. So that is the argument against why we should have why there I guess there shouldn't be power meters in the Pro Peloton and in the Tour de France because it will ultimately animate the race. Now, why I think this is such a dumb idea, I, I, I'm for it for the beauty of cycling. I, I think there's an argument to be made. I am not necessarily seasoned enough, biked enough, to, and know the history of cycling to really 
speak for or against that. I can just kind of nod my head and say, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Where I believe it can really be detrimental is the progression of the sport. I mean, cycling in itself is a is a pretty niche sport, you know, and it's a niche hobby, I would say. And there's nothing against that. But if you want to grow the sport, you can't hinder anything of the sport. And that's really where I feel like we're getting at if we're going to start banning power meters. I mean, power meters have have created revenue for new companies, for existing companies, and they've brought apart this whole new style of training. And to me, that's a progression of the sport, alike with disc brakes, alike with a lot of other innovations that we see in cycling, is it's a progression of the sport. It's a way to bring in money as a whole to the industry, and you hope that bringing in more money and more revenue will ultimately grow the sport to the masses because you have more money to to do marketing. You have more money to put on events. You have more money to put on races to sell new types of bike, and then you have money to innovate, innovate to continue to grow the sport. And so, from that standpoint, I feel like it would be a massive setback to take away power meters from the Tour de France because if you take away power meters basically what the pros do trickles down to what the consumers do even though we are not pros it sets the standard and sets a bar for what we want to buy what we see as attractive to buy and it just sets a tone for what we as consumers are going to be able to get so if you take away power meters I believe that's going to shut off innovation of power meters which we've already seen a massive massive growth in what power meters are you know coming all the way from a massive hub in your wheel to now there's a the latest smallest power meter that i saw twists onto the valve or your um, valve of your tube and it's like an inch big i mean it's this small power meter it's like two hundred dollars i mean it's just it's crazy to see how far we have come with power meters, and that's because power meters are being seen as a worthwhile investment from the consumers because the pros are doing it at the highest level. Like we're starting to see this value. Also, all of this new training has come up because of power meters, and the style of racing has changed because of power meters. And so, in my mind, now, granted, this is my opinion. Again, my podcast. I'm, I'm going to give you my opinion because this is how I feel. I feel as power meters banning them is a setback to the sport. I, I kind of had the same approach with disc brakes when there was the controversy at the beginning of 2018, even 2017, there was the controversy. I felt like it was, it was ultimately a progression for the sport because what the pros do trickle down to what the consumers want, can, and feel they need to buy. So I, I am all for that in the progression now there are some things that i'm not for in a progression of cycling just depends on what it is and with each new issue i want to give my opinion because i want to know you know i I just want to give my opinion you all can listen and make up your your mind about it that is my stance on the power meters though is i just feel like it's a detraction from the sport and i am not not on board with it so that's kind of uh, 
it for the Tour de France, except for one last thing. I do want to share this because there was a crit. Ah, shoot, I'm blanking on the name of uh, the town it's in, but there's another crit in Shanghai, I think in about two weeks. And so they do these crit races for the Tour de France where they kind of bring all of the stars from the tour to do crits over in different parts of the world, I think mainly in uh, in Asian countries. And they're just trying to grow the sport, which I think is a really good idea. They're trying to bring cycling over to a big fandom. You know, definitely over in Asian countries, I would say there is a massive amount of cycling over there and a ton of a ton of racing over there. Maybe not at the top level pro, but um, some lower level of pro racing is going on over there. And it's a massive, massive market. So I think this is definitely in part to do with growing that culture, but they're just trying to grow the sport globally. So it's awesome to see. So, But there was this crit race, and the three top people on the podium were one, Alejandro Valverde. He took first place. Second place was Garen Thomas. And third place was an up-and-coming Japanese rider. Now, I don't know the Japanese rider, so I really don't want to speak to him. But I for sure know that Alejandro Valverde should not be winning crits. And Garen Thomas should not be second in crits. So there's always been the speculation that these crits are basically just to put on a show and that they're fixed. Well, I mean, don't want to say it, but I want to say it. Seems like maybe it was fixed. If Alejandro Valverde is winning a crit, Garen Thomas is taking second. There's just a little bit of suspicion for me there as neither one of those guys are true sprinters. They are climbers. They are Grand Tour winners. They are not Criterium winners. So I just I thought that was funny. Go do your own research on that one. Um, I don't have a link or anything on the website. But because I, I'm clearly speculating just on that one. That is not uh, – I wouldn't say any hard facts, but – just say that that is a little fishy from my eyes. So what else we got going on in pro news? Well, there's a possible women's Perry Roubaix coming in 2020. There's nothing confirmed on this yet. I really don't have a ton of news or anything like that. Just the president of the UCI said that there are working on it. Or that it's in the works. Also a possible 10-day Tour de France for women could be coming down the pipeline. And I would I would think that would be really cool to see. I'd love to see a women's Paris-Roubaix. I love to watch Paris-Roubaix because you get to see a lot of people suffer. You get to see a lot of dirty faces. A lot of excitement. And I want to watch that twice. I want to watch the men do it. And then I want to watch somebody do it again. And I want to watch that be women whether they come first whether they come second i want to see two pair of i think that would be great from a fan perspective i think that'd be awesome now i don't i would assume that they'd be run on back-to-back days maybe a saturday sunday don't exactly know how that would look but i think that'd be awesome i'd love to watch two of them and then if this is going to be a thing if women are going to have a pair of 
I hope that we can get the right coverage for it and that we can watch all of that race. We can get great coverage for the men's. And so then I would just hope that we can that we can see the women in all that glory as well. I want to see women with some really dusty faces. I want to see some women in pain as they're suffering on those cobbles. I want to see all of that as well. I want to see exciting racing uh, from the women. So I think that'd be really cool, not next year, but in 2020 and a possible 10-day tour I think would be really cool to see as well. You know, when it comes to women having their own Tour de France, I was always on the side of, yes, women should have their own tour. I don't know why they just don't run it with the men's. And I had that 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 stance until I heard a woman talk about when that was actually happening back in the day when they'd run a woman's tour in succession or at the same time as the men's tour and she just talked about how it was a logistical nightmare and that really opened up my eyes to be like wow that really actually probably wasn't the smartest thing to run two two tour de france's at the same time and the logistics of all of that became a nightmare and was very costly so i don't know how they would necessarily work out a women's tour de france if it would be a couple days behind if it'd be a couple days ahead if it would be at a totally different time i'm not 100 percent sure like I said, there's not a ton of facts around this, but I think that'd be really cool to see a women's Tour de France. Like, I'd love to see them do some of those big climbs and, you know, follow the route closely to the men. Again, I get back to, I think one of the reasons we watch pro cycling is the excitement of it, the unknown of it, and watching people do things that I can't do. <laughs> I can't climb up these gradients as fast as they can, and I can't climb up as fast as these women can, and I want to watch them do that. Of course, I want to watch them suffer as well. I I think that's another reason we watch cycling is to watch people suffer. And if I get to watch, you know, two people suffer up or two different groups of people suffer up that climb, I think that's exciting. That's my mind. So Paris-Roubaix possible in 2020 and a possible women's 10-day Tour de France. What we're being told right now, again, not a ton of, uh, ton of facts or any hard fact details coming out around that last thing that we have is we have a new kit yes a new cycling kit has been revealed from trek segafredo and this is good because we usually don't see kits until like january and i always love it when new kits come out because you get kind of first impressions on whether you like them, whether you hate them. And I will say at the beginning of this year, I didn't love this year's batch of kits. I think Team Sky, again, I'm going back to why I love Team Sky. I think they just have kind of the the best looking overall kit. But the kit I hated the most at uh, at the beginning of this year was EF Education First. I, I hated their kit so much at the beginning of this year. Like so much passion and rage behind I just hated this kit. And at the end of the year, I freaking loved their kit. It was my favorite, probably my favorite kit on the, um, in the tour, in the pro peloton this year. Just loved their kit. I really became a fan of their team altogether. And I think they have some really cool things coming on next year as they partner with Rafa. I also love Rafa. So I'm excited to see what their kit looks like next year as well. But uh, yeah, so you get to, so you get to see what the kit looks like in you know perfect photos good lighting and then how does that kit actually look in the peloton throughout the year so it's uh you know it's fun to have those ups and downs with the kit so trek segafredo has 
a new men's and women's kits, and I really like both of them. Actually, I uh, I think I like the women's better. I like the uh, the men's a lot though too. I really like black and red that combination as long as it is done well. And so I have pictures of this on the website. So you can go to the website, see pictures of this. Cyclingwithwatts.com. I'll try to kind of explain them over the airwaves, but John Degenkolb is the face of the men's Trek Segafredo team. And so it's got black sleeves with some nice classy white stripes at the bottom of those sleeves right above the elbow. So coming up into the sleeves and you have a very red block body. And in the middle of that red block, there is a white rectangle going across the chest that says Trek and then Segafredo right underneath of that. You have a couple sponsors up by the shoulders. You have Trek actually on the shoulders and Santini Bontrager, you know, kind of right at the, uh, or underneath the collarbone area. And then you have Segafredo across the rib section and there's a black rib section there. I think this is color blocked. Very nice. You have it contrasted with black shorts, which I think black or dark colored shorts definitely are the way to go. And so I think this is just some really nice, bold color blocking. I think that's kind of a design style across a lot of different mediums, but I'm a fan of it. It's, it's really, it's pretty classy. It's very, you know, it's not new age by any means, but it's just a nice looking kit. It's something that I would wear probably for a team kit. And there's a lot of team kits I wouldn't wear because it's just plastered with sponsors. This has sponsors on it, but I think it's done in a very classy way. Now for the women's kit, somewhat uh, similar, but I would say still has a lot of differences so it's the Trek Segafredo women's team and so they start off with white sleeves again with the black two bars around this is more on their biceps and then coming into a full navy body they do not have that white block across the chest they have an all uh, navy body but then it is like woven with these light blue navy blue kind of transcending into white rectangles that just go all across the midsection and up through the ribs and I think that's a really cool design definitely more new age but done very very well you know looks like looks like a kind of far out kit that you would see on Instagram or something that would be super popular if there was no logos on or anything like that but I I think it's very very well done and then topped off with some navy shorts so I I really like the woman's kit I think it's very well done it adds this nice touch of modern element to it but it's not too crazy and then again I I think the sponsors are done very well very classy it's not too in your face but it really does get a lot of a lot of image for your title sponsors as well they pay the bills so there you go new kit out from Trek Segafredo go check it out on the website and we are going to end pro news with peter sagan watch so that siren signifies that we are talking about peter sagan peter sagan is amazing and i talk about him every week on the show because he is, uh, you know, he's a legend in himself. 
So what do we got for Sagan Watch? Nothing like too crazy, but he did say that he is possibly targeting Giro next year, which he's never rode the Giro. So that's exciting in itself. I think, you know, we don't got any crazy hairstyles. We don't got a new book. His new book, I got it pre-ordered, ready to read it. I think it's coming to me in December. Nothing too big, but he might be targeting the Giro. <laughs> Whatever you want to make on that, he's targeting the Giro. He's never rode it before, so I'd love to see him in the Giro. Uh, the Giro looks devastatingly tough this year with the amount of climbs it has. It is absolutely crazy, uh, the Giro route this year. But Peter Sagan is targeting the Giro this year. So that ends Sagan Watch. So that moves us on into tech news. Now, the Taipei Bike Show just finished up, and I'm going to talk more about that stuff in next week's podcast, So what, uh, which I think there's a lot of good stuff coming out of there. But still, we got some uh, little bits of nuggets to talk about, and I have all of these pictures up on the website. So go check that out, cyclingwithwatts.com. They are all there. So what do we got? We got a 12-speed cassette. That's a SRAM ETAP. This was spotted on a pro bike. And this isn't the first one we've seen on a pro bike. But again, it's another step towards a possible one-by system or just having more gears with a two-by system, which two-by is standard across the board these days. But it's a 12-speed Group set. Now we've seen 12 speed on mountain bikes, and a lot of technology comes from mountain bikes and then is uh, made for the road. And so this is already a thing on the mountain side, but is it is it right? Is it good for road racing? And that, I don't know what size uh, cog it is, the 12 speed on this one, but it's a pretty massive cog. Like it's a nice jump up from that. Um, from that 11th cog, basically. So I I do like this, especially for some of these uh, Grand Tours that are have ridiculous amounts of climbing. They're definitely going to come in handy there if this becomes standard across the board. I'm all for it if it makes racing more exciting, if it makes people faster. I'm all for the 12-speed cassette. It really doesn't add much weight, I don't believe. And I think it's a good innovation. I, you know, I think one day we'll probably have multiple speed cassettes or we'll have a way more efficient drivetrain where maybe we don't need them but hey if you can fit 12 on there why not do it at one point they had five and then you know seven and then nine and then 10 and now 11 speed are kind of standard across the board so why not keep going up this is probably a trend that we'll just keep see going up and up and i'm all for it so yes 12 speed SRAM ETAP group, group set. We've only seen it from SRAM. I believe uh, Campagnolo has a 12-speed as well. On the road side, haven't seen it from Shimano yet, but I'm guessing we will in the future. So next up on the docket is uh, Lucky 8 Road Brakes. These are massive, massively light road brakes. They come in at 134 grams without pads, and they are made out of Thai aluminum and carbon. Now, I do love looking at these road brakes, but then I also think that they're a little bit ridiculous. And guys, this is from my standpoint. 
from where I am in cycling. And unless you're doing, you know, a bunch of hill climb races, having the lightest brake pads, or not brake pads, but uh, brakes, I don't think it's going to do much for you. I think it's really cool and it's really innovative. And I hope that one day we can all ride lighter brakes because it's cooler to make your bike lighter, but it's also very expensive. And so I, uh, I think it's cool that we can make brakes this light. Don't really see the need for it yet because I'm not trying to make my bike that light. But if you do want to make it that light and you got the money for it, if you got the money for it, go do it. Why not? You know, but for the most of us, it is expensive and it's not a luxury that we really need to go with but it is still in the tech news still think it's cool there's a picture of it they do look really cool they look uh you know very raw and very i don't know the right words for it but they do look cool i like the looks of them i'd put them on my bike if i had the money and uh just don't think it's really necessary it wouldn't make me that much of a better cyclist i might be shave off a second you know on a long climb I could also just lose a little bit more weight myself, and that would probably help. So they're, uh, they're up on the website, though. But what I think is probably the coolest thing that I've seen in terms of tech for this show is uh, Specialized came out with a new saddle for women. Now, of course, I'm not a woman, so I can't speak to this as well as a, a woman could. I'll try to give, give my best of what I've read on it, but, uh, you know, and I don't know the the pains and sufferings that women go through uh, because I you know, I don't have them as a man. But I think it's really cool that uh, Specialized is doing more and more innovation for women cycling. You know, again, this is something that helps, I believe, progress the sport. If you make more women-specific things such as a saddle, which a saddle is a very intimate thing for cyclists. You know, I really, you know, I, I like my saddle. It's a I want it to perform and give me comfort where I need comfort. And it's a it's a barrier to a lot of people getting into the sport of saddle comfort. And that's men and women both. So if you can do things for women specifically to make that more comfortable for them, I am all for that because I believe that will help get more women into the sport. Just like on the men's side, if you make it more comfortable for men, it's going to help more men get into the sport. So I think in both ways um, – it's really cool that we're seeing innovations, but a lot of stuff is made for men and not necessarily for women. So that's why I'm probably even more excited when we see women-specific stuff. I don't always know if women-specific stuff is the right way to go, if women are all for it, if they're like, I'm fine with the men's stuff. But anyways, I think it's cool. So it's called the Specialized Mimic Saddle for specifically made for women. It's supposed to help with sore bum and um, more specifically getting numb labias and that is coming from them which is uh coming from specialized and that is you know bane of many female cyclists and so this is supposed to help counteract that and what it does is it has a nose with softer foam and so that is supposed to mimic some of that soft tissue that will actually be making contact with the nose of that saddle and so i can't speak to all of the scientific innovations of it but that was kind of the biggest point of it there was that the nose of that saddle is made with some different foam to help with that soft tissue that's hitting it and made with foam to specifically mimic that that's hence the name of the saddle so i think that's really cool go check it out it is on the website but then if you are a female cyclist i'd recommend going and checking this saddle out it is comes at a hefty uh, 300 for that top model 
But if you really do struggle with this stuff and you haven't found a saddle that can work for you, this might be your, your answer. And I think, uh, you know, again, going back to the power meter debate, if we sell more power meters, bike brands have more money to then invest in research and they can invest in research specifically for women. So, you know, why not go buy this? You know, help uh, help women cyclists down the road, help male cyclists down the road by investing in uh, what they're doing. Now that does kind of, you know, counteract what I said about the road brakes that they're maybe a little bit too uh, too expensive. But I I I value comfort over really high end performance and shaving off a couple grams to pick up a couple watts. I'd rather just be more comfortable. So I'm much more inclined to pay for the saddle, not the, not the road brake. So yes, like I said, all that stuff is pictured up on the website. I'll get into some more stuff uh, next week coming out from the Taipei bike show, but that is it. That is the end of episode 17, Cycling with Watts. Thank you so much for listening. Like I said, got an email address, cyclingwithwatts at gmail. Love to hear questions. Love to hear your thoughts, especially about indoor training. Shoot me an email. Got a Facebook up if you want to message me there. I'm hoping I can use Facebook to do some live stuff in the future and post more shows, just make it more accessible to people there. Go check out the website. Got that updated with all the visuals from today i'll be hopefully progressing that website as i get better and better at it so uh yes thank you for listening thank you if you do go check out the website you can also follow me on instagram cycling with watts follow me on twitter cycling wth watts couldn't put the i in there otherwise that handle would be too long other than that again thank you so 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 much for listening i'm really appreciated of that like i i want to do this for you all listening i've learned a ton being in the bike world, being in the bike industry. And I be, I just want to share that, share what I've learned. I may be wrong at some times. I may have an opinion that you don't agree with, but at the heart of it, I'm just trying to express my thoughts, my feelings, and my knowledge on stuff so that I can hopefully inspire you guys to ride more. At the end of the day, I want you all to get out on your bike more and embrace and love cycling in the way that I have. So again, thank you. Have a great rest of your day and we'll be back in the next episode talking about maintenance and training. So we'll hit that orchestra music and take us out. (laughs) 